This is Real Talk, the Customer Insights Show with Jen Vogel, a top-rated live stream and podcast in the market research and insights industry. We stream live on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube, and you can listen on all major podcast channels. Join Jen and her guests for a weekly discussion around topics that will help you understand your customers better. Real Talk is presented to you by Vox Pop Me, the leader in video research and ranked number one in qualitative research by Grit two years running. Here's today's conversation. Hello, insights professionals, marketers, and everyone who wants to understand their customers better. I'm your host, Jen Vogel. We've heard guests talk about being proactive, getting ahead of trends, integrating foresight into their market research strategy. This is a real hot topic right now. Um, but what does it mean to do proactive research? How do companies get started? And how does it help the business? I'm joined today by Kyle Papanicholas, Global Insights Senior Director at McDonald's to discuss the topic. Thanks for joining, Kyle. Hey, happy Friday, Jen. How are you? Yes, happy Friday. I cannot complain. <laughs> I know, um, I've had a, quite a busy week. Uh, actually, so I, he, I reached a a milestone birthday uh, this week on Tuesday. And then on top of that, you know Joe Lapore really well. She actually joined our team. So uh, yeah, a lot yeah. going on this week, but uh, looking forward to the weekend. Well, welcome to the team, Joe, and happy birthday, Kyle. Was it a Thank speed you. limit? Speed uh, limit milestone? I don't know what that means. Uh, <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, it is. I was like, what does that actually mean? But 35 miles <laughs> right now? Uh, yeah, so now I'm 40. Yeah, exactly. Which it, it, It's we weird go. because... Uh, when I hit 38, I was like, oh my God, 40 is coming up. What am I going to do? <laughs> and then like I hit 39, I was like, eh, whatever. And now that I'm 40, I, I'm like, it hasn't fully hit yet. Honestly, it's kind of a weird feeling. Um, you know, maybe in a couple of weeks it will, but, uh, yeah, no, no, things are going good. I think it just gets better with age, right? Life just exactly. gets better and better. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Well, let's get started. And I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about your career in insights and the yeah. team that you run at McDonald's. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so now that I've officially aged myself, <laughs> uh, I've been within the industry uh, for about 15 years now. Uh, and, and actually, I remember the starting point really well. Uh, I was getting my MBA working in retail management and my wife, uh, or actually my current wife, then fiance approached me and she said, Hey, it's actually time that you get a real like professional job. You know, not that there's anything wrong with working at the gap. Uh, and I admittedly, I was terrified at the time <laughs> because I was like, I don't know what I want to do. You know, I'm, I'm 20 something years old. I, I have no clue. I like management and business, but beyond that, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, and so I actually like scoured the internet looking for some sort of job that like piqued my curiosity and obviously I applied for like millions of jobs and thought I was going to get all of them. But there was one that, that, that piqued my curiosity, which was about, it was a, a market research analyst role, I think. Um, and it was interesting because it was about business, but it was also about people and, and humans and about like how they operate, which was something that always, you know, intrigued me a bit. Uh, and so somehow, miraculously, I got an interview, got the job, and then I started out my career on the supplier side, um, working for five years in agency. And I think that was super helpful for me um, because it helped me understand like the technical aspects of how you do research, which honestly, I think is really underappreciated these days, especially on the client side. 
and then eventually I made a switch over to uh, clients. I worked at Anheuser-Busch at a local insights role. And, and that was helpful because, you know, sometimes when you're on the supplier side, you go out, you do the research. They're like, oh, the answer is clearly this. And then nothing happens. <laughs> you're like, why the heck doesn't that happen? And then when you go over the client side, you understand, oh, this is like how businesses actually operate especially large organizations. So I got a bit of that balance. And then now I've been at McDonald's for about seven years now, uh, worked my way up throughout the company within our global insights team. And so now uh, for the past eight months or so, uh, I've been uh, helping build a new function in the business. It's basically responsible for two different things. One is like establishing a center of ex excellence or COE for insights. So actually going out and testing and scaling new capabilities. Uh, and the second one, which I think we're going to talk a bit about today, is all about foresight and creating a foresight capability for the business. Yeah, really, really exciting to hear about this team that you're spinning up. And um, But before we kind of dive into that, you said some really interesting things yeah. and kind of talking about your career. And um, I think, you know, what you were saying about sort of the market research process when you were on the supplier side being sort of underappreciated. I yeah. want to dig more into that. Like, what do you mean by that? You know, I think um, so a lot of people that come in on the client side, um, especially coming in directly without the technical expertise, and especially right now, given the pro proliferation of data that exists out there, um, research is just kind of like numbers are just taken like as all being completely equal with each other. And research is considered to be all completely equal in many cases within the business. And uh, you know, I came from a background and from a company, it no longer exists, but they really grounded themselves and, and, and had pride on high quality research and doing things the right way to get the right results that actually benefit the business. And so I, what I've seen now is, is even people that come out of, of the research industry on the supplier side, once they get to the client side, there becomes this under an appreciation of like how the work is actually done and um, the guts of it, so to speak, mm -hmm. um, which ultimately ends up impacting the end result when you take those results and apply it back to the business. And then sometimes it comes back at the agency of like, hey, why didn't this work? Well, there's flaws in the research and how we actually did it. So I, I, I like the fact that I've had a bit of that balance to understand a bit of both sides of it and also showing a bit more empathy um, for the people that are on the agency side and the stuff that they have to go through. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I think we could, the world could always use more empathy across all different exactly. <laughs> areas. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's really, really interesting. Um, and I thought it was also interesting to hear you say, like talk about the transition from supplier side to client side and understanding, yeah. oh, this is why the decision's not being made. Like it looks clear <laughs> in the data. But obviously, there's other factors. And, you know, we've talked to others about that, too. Like, there's so yeah. much involved in the decision making and, you know, financial concerns and feasibility and things like that. Of, of politics, yeah. politics, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, my peers are watching. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, you know, none of that's happening now, of course. But, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah that's, it's some really interesting stuff. I always love hearing about people who kind of go back and forth for from the different, um, yeah. you know, partnerships and um, what they're learning across, across both. Um, and so <clears throat> now getting into, you know, the, that part of your team that's focused on foresight, yeah. um, like when it comes to thinking about proactive research, like how do you define that? 
Yeah, let, let me let me provide a, a bit more perspective of like how I see the industry and then I'll hit on the, the point about proactive research. Um, so what I find within the industry, and this is like both client and supplier side, is insights people in general tend to be much more reactive. Uh, and what I mean by that is like someone comes to you of like, hey, I have a business problem that I'm trying to solve or, hey, I have a point that I'm trying to make. <laughs> Help me support it. And then we go out and we actually go out and, and do research or, or do whatever we need to do with it um, to give them the answers that they need. The, uh, the challenge with that that I've found um, is that there's all this other stuff either that's like locked within the insights function or stuff that sits in like other spaces outside the business that never actually gets thoroughly explored and, and, and leveraged within the business. And so when I think about proactive research, it's like, what's all that stuff that's kind of either locked within the function that we can unleash and use it to drive business value or all the stuff on the periphery that we just don't take the time or energy to package together and, and bring it to the business in a meaningful way. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. I mean, the the idea of like I think it's very common for yeah. insights to behave in a in a sort of reactive way of like yeah. partially. Well, I mean, I'm curious your take on it. Um, you know, why do you think that is? Like, is it the pressure and like so many questions coming at you guys? Is it like a resource constraint issue? Like, why do we lean on that? Like being reactive. If, it was, if this was like a multiple choice quiz, I would choose like D, all of the above. Yeah, certainly all of those things. Um, I think also people uh, within insights, and not always, I, I, I hate to overgeneralize, but we're more passive introverted people in many cases. You know, honestly, I'm that way in many ways. And so because of that, when people, you feel the nature of you have to wait until somebody comes to you and asks for something before you actually go and do it. Um, but then also, I think another piece of it, which you touched on, is the fact that like so much of our day to day work is focused on answering questions that other people have or pulling data or whatever it may be that becomes very, very difficult to actually go out uh, and create a safe space to explore. And so I think it's really important, um, you know, like in our company, um, when Michelle Gansley came in, she wanted to create a safe space within the business to go out and explore new things um, without having all these, you know, periphery pressures from the business coming in that, that take away from it. Yeah, that's so important. Like having a leader that create, like you said, creates that safe space because, yep. you know, otherwise you don't have another choice, right? If you're exactly. constantly like, hey, how come you haven't answered these questions? Um, exactly. then there's no time to, to explore and experiment. Um, so, I mean, what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of like yeah. leaning into that proactive research and trying to move into that space? Yeah. So the, the advantage that I, so I, I personally love doing this stuff. Uh, I think the advantage is it can be a lot of fun. Uh, it's challenging because sometimes it's very different to say like, Hey, I'm going to go out and do a copy test. It's a very standard process versus like, I'm going to explore uh, the future of mobility or whatever it may be, uh, which is, is a very nebulous space that could take you in a lot of directions. But I, I think it's kind of fun to like go outside the bounds of like the typical day-to-day -day stuff. And, and, and so for me, that's one big advantage. Um, the other advantage that we've seen within the business um, is it actually helps build credibility and almost reposition the insights function within the business. And, and just to make it tangible, I'll give you like an example. 
uh, and a very simple one. Um, so we have a standing uh, agenda with our executive team, about 15 or 20 minutes or so once a month that we call the voice of the customer. Actually, now it's evolved to be the voice of the customer and the restaurant team, because more and more we're thinking about, you know, how do, does the work that we do impact our crew and the people that work within our restaurants? Uh, and so each month, what we actually do is we'll go out and explore a new topic. The intent is to be like provocative and go outside of like, hey, what's the latest with Big Macs and, and think more broad. Um, and we brought that back to the business and we've done that every single month. And a huge benefit that we've seen is that it's opened up a whole lot more doors for us within the business to do other things because the executive team and, and the rest of the business is acknowledging, hey, these guys are not just uh, minions that go out and do research, but they can actually provide value and provoke a little bit more. And so I think that's another huge benefit that we see with proactive research. Um, the disadvantage or the, or the challenge with it is it's really, really hard to drive business impact. And I think we really still struggle with this today. Uh, and that's because like it's so uh, the business is so short term driven. People are so focused on what's right in front of them. You know, there's certain processes that are set up within the business and it's hard to take something that sits outside of that and bring it back to the business and integrate it in a way that's really, really meaningful. And so quite often with some of the, this work that we do, people say, oh, that's really, really fascinating. And I'm like, yes, we finally got them. Uh, mm -hmm. And then they go and just continue to do the stuff that they always do, which is, is always a bit frustrating. And so I think that's part of the challenge of, of proactive research. Mm. Yeah, sometimes it can seem a bit far away. Like I don't actually need to worry about that right now. Interesting, I'll try to remember that. Well, it's like human behavior too. like in the way of like you're so focused on even if you're like provoked by something, you're, you're the na nature is to focus on, OK, I've got this thing that's right in front of me, right in front of me. And, and so like you lose sight of it and just become something that's in the periphery or become so conceptual that you don't really know how to go out and, and tackle it. And that in itself is almost overwhelming. And so because of that, you kind of push it to the side. Totally. Yeah. I mean, when you look at your to-do list, you have these kind of big strategic yeah. initiatives you need to work on and that there requires a lot of complex thinking. You know, you're like, oh, let me just tick off these three easy things first. And then there's always three more easy things that come in front of the hard thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you mentioned like you're trying to be provocative and not be limited to like, what's the latest with Big Mac? Like, how do you determine some of the, you know, not to get into specifics or give away your secret sauce here, but um, like what, what types of areas are you trying to explore? Is it more like human behavior kind of opinion type stuff or is it still related to the McDonald's product and brand? Yeah, um, it's, that's the other challenging part, which I didn't mention is coming up with topics, especially when you have like a standing agenda of like once a month. Um, so I, I used to manage this process. We have somebody else that manages it now, but um, we started out where we kind of had like a running list of things that we were interested in looking into. Uh, and the intent was to make it much more human centric. I think it also really benefited when we were in the middle of the pandemic because it was such a rich time to go into like, hey, what's going on in terms of tensions within the world between upper and lower class? Um, you know, gender inequalities, all this different stuff. So like w the intent for us is to go much broader outside of our category uh, when we do it. Um, the challenging part is when we started doing it early on, people would be like, oh, that's really interesting. I just don't know what it has to do with McDonald's. And so now we kind of have an approach where we start broad on like, 
what's going on with humans in this space, like gender inequality, for example. And then we find a way to bring it back to the business in a meaningful way to where people say, oh, now I totally get how that applies back to the, my business. And so that's a really important part with all this, that you don't just talk, go out and talk about gender inequality and how the pandemic has impacted women, which I, I think is very unfortunate, but you ground it in some sort of business conclusion just to make it a bit more tangible for, for um, the organization. And that is such like a unique skill of researchers to be able to do that. Like you, you've hit the nail on the head. Like how do you get people to actually care and, and yep. use it? And like you mentioned, it's challenging to get business impact out of some of these broader societal topics or, you know, making that connection to the business need. That's the like the richest part of all of this, right? Like yep. that's where you can actually make a difference. Now, um, a lot of companies out there are just starting to build foresight functions. Some have been around for a while, but it seems to be like kind of springing up quite a bit more recently in the last couple of years. Um, but it seems like a lot are struggling to operationalize foresight. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Yeah. So like, so we're one of the new companies is what I'd say. Uh, and so what we've found is that, uh, well, let me say first, I, I'm like not a foresight practitioner. Uh, you know, I'm a traditional market researcher, which we talked about earlier, but I want to be very purposeful of when I came into this role. And when we started this about what, seven, eight months ago, to take time to like talk to other companies and understand a bit more of like what they're doing within the space. And what I found is exactly what you're talking about, um, which is a lot of companies are creating really, really interesting stuff within foresight, but they can't find a way to actually land the plane and drive business impact. Uh, and I think it came down to a, a couple different things. Um, one goes back to what I was talking about earlier, um, which is the fact that like there are natural rhythms and cadences within the business and people operate in a much more short term way. And when you do foresight, it's hard to find ways to intersect with those existing work streams or things that are, are going on. Um, I, I think the second one uh, is the other thing that I've kind of observed, and, and this is one of the things I love about foresight people, and again, not to overgeneralize, uh, now that I've created stereotypes about insights people and foresight <laughs> people, but <laughs> I'm gonna be like stricken from the industry here, but um, they, uh, they, they tend to be more conceptual, curious people, which is awesome and I love, but sometimes part of it is how things are delivered. And so what, what I've found is that some companies will go out and say, or some foresight functions will go out and say, hey, the world will look like this in 2030 and create this really provocative, awesome narrative around it. But then if I'm thinking about what's my next menu innovation, it's like, okay, what, what the heck do I actually do with that? So a bit of it is about process, I think. Um, but then also a bit of it is about the actual content and how you deliver it to the organization in a way that is more tangible, I think, is the other challenge that I've seen. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it is hard to wrap your head around decisions today that like relate to what's going to happen in 2030 um, yeah. or even like imagine, I guess I wonder, do people how uh, what am I trying to say here? Like, you know how reliable do people find these kind of foresight insights about 2030? Like, are, is there sort of like a, a sense of like, well, 
yeah, that could be true, but we're not sure because it's too far away. Yeah. There's always the skeptics for sure. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Um, And that's why I think that like, there's always, there's an amount of art to foresight for sure. Like I've seen different ways that companies are doing it. Some like lean pure into science and they try to predict out like, hey, you know, we've taken all this data and historical information, we predicted out and this is going to happen in the future. I've seen others that are much more about art of like triangulating different pieces of information and, and saying, oh, because as we think this is likely to happen. Um, but you will always have your skeptics either way. And um, I try to find the blend between the two to where I'm not just saying, hey, I'm going to forecast into the future and this will happen. Um, but say, hey, also what we've found is this extra contextual information that provides more understanding of why we think that will happen in the future or why it's highly likely to help provide more rationale behind it um, beyond just predicting or becoming fortune tellers. And I think also just acknowledging, hey, we don't know what the future is look like, looks like, but we want to set our organization up to be able to double down on the areas that we think that we can have high confidence will be important in the future. So it's important not to come out and say, hey, the world will look like this, mm-hmm. but actually say, hey, we've done a lot of analysis and we think it's highly, highly likely that this is going to stick in the future. And so we should get out ahead of it and plan for it. Yeah. And even as you're talking about that, I'm thinking like you mentioned earlier about like being proactive and, you know, bringing these insights to the business that they care about and build, in order to build credibility, like realistically, anybody can be skeptical of the results, whether it's foresight or whether it's looking at something, if there's no credibility built, like those relationships internally are so critical. Like if there's trust there, like that's the foundation for something like this to actually sink in. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, And so um, what has been like some more about your approach to operationalizing foresight at McDonald's and kind of springing up this team that's I realize yeah. you're probably still a work in progress right well step uh one of the not step one but one thing is we, we finally hired somebody to help support it <laughs> there you <laughs> she go knows what she's doing so I'm really excited about having Joe because um she brings a lot of love expertise um within the space but a couple of things that I've been trying to do just understand like the culture of McDonald's is I I, I don't want to be a fish that's trying to swim upstream um, and so a, a couple of things that we've been trying to do um, are, are more about how can I drive business impact and really focus on the things that I think will be most meaningful. Uh, and so there's a few things that we've done this year just to kind of start down that path. Um, one, uh, one of the things I notice in terms of companies that are successful when it comes to foresight is they're very, very clear about how they go about their doing their work and the type of work that they focus on. And so one of the first things that we did was actually develop like a foresight strategy, which gets down to the details of like, how do we spend our time and energy? How do we actually construct teams to drive business impact? What's the process of how we come up with different topics? I think that's really important because one of the challenges with foresight is you can go in like 30 different directions and not really land in, in anything sort of meaningful. And it requires a lot of engagement and influence to actually drive change. And you need that focus to be able to do that. Um, I think the the second thing that I've also done is I try to fit within the rhythms of the business. Um, every company has some sort of like strategic planning process. We have a like uh, a phase zero, which is all about broad exploration, a phase one, which is about building a three-year strategy, and then a phase two, which is all about 
building a detailed one-year plan. What I thought as a first step is we did some like big macro shifts work. Um, let's not just throw it out there. Let's find a way to intersect it with a natural rhythm within the business, which is phase zero about broad exploration. And so we actually go out and do workshops with all of our markets. Um, so where they can brainstorm, like what are the big threats and opportunities for the business based upon these shifts? And then it gets integrated into planning. So that's the second thing um, mm -hmm. that I've tried to do. And the third thing is like, I'm a huge fan of like the whole Ikea effect. If you're thinking about like human behavior of like, how do you have people feel ownership over something? Um, and so we're doing a project around future of food. And what I'm not doing is like going off in a corner and sit doing research and then coming back and saying, hey, food will look like this in, you know, 10 years. Um, but actually, when I do these very focused work streams, I'm partnering together with a lot of different functions and bringing them along the way. So hopefully they feel ownership and accountability when the results come out to say, oh, now we actually need to go out and do something with it and advocate for it within the business. So trying that out, we'll see how it actually works. But that's the third thing that um, I've been trying as well. I love that approach. I think, you know, I've there's, I've seen examples of that in other areas too, not necessarily just research or, you know, we've even used a similar approach with things like positioning and messaging from a marketing perspective. Like yep. if you, if marketing develops positioning and messaging and shares it out to the organization, everybody goes, okay, cool. Thanks. But if you actually involve everyone in the development of that positioning and messaging, there is a sense of ownership and it feels like, hey, I was I was part of that. I understand the backstory of why we did that or, you know, why we asked that question and the, the, the decisions that were made. And it's a lot more widely adopted when there is, like you said, that that ownership. Yeah, the tricky part is. Um finding the right balance because you can't suck them into all the details of everything. Um, so I think what we've been trying to do is we have not to get super specific, but maybe helpful for people is we have like a core team, which is like a day-to-day -day project management. Uh, and that's mainly like foresight people like me. Then we have an extended team, which is a very diverse group of people from different functions. And we bring them in during like critical touch points along the way to get their buy-in uh, and help them influence the design. Um, so rather than them attending a billion different meetings, what we do is we have like three or four different working sessions over the course of like three to four months uh, where they can really buy in and weigh in on, on the results themselves, what they mean for the business. And so you have to find that right balance because you can't suck them into everything. They've got a full-time job. Um, but still make them feel like uh, they're involved and, and feel ownership over the work. Yeah, that's so smart. Plus, I mean, you kind of don't want the like too many cooks in the kitchen yeah, exactly. <laughs> either. So it kind of exactly. helps with both of those things to, yep. to be able to yep. strike that balance. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, we've already kind of touched on business impact a, a couple of different times. Like, you know, I guess what in the, if you could imagine this sort of, dream world of what it would look like to be really driving that impact that you want to drive? Like, what would that look like? Yeah. Oh man, that's a tough question. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, like, like honestly driving like top line results for the business. And I, and I think we have to be careful sometimes because um, what happens with research and proactive research like this is we assume success 
is people liking our work. And, and, and you, of course you want that. You want that like emotional benefit of like, oh, people really like me and they like the work that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, we're, we're here to actually sell, well, in our case, you know, cheeseburgers and fries and everything else. Um, and, and so for Foresight, for me, I think it's need to show meaningful impact and tangible things coming out of it uh, over the course of two to three years, let's say. Um, to prove out the function, because I, I think the other challenge is if you create this space uh, and you aren't really showing significant business benefit within two to three years or so, people are going to start looking around. They're like, well, what the heck are these guys actually doing? And those are the first things that, that people actually cut. So I think it's really, really important that you create a safe space um, or not a safe space, but you, you find a way to drive business impact and get a, a couple of good um, case studies built to say, hey, you know, we're actually benefiting the business. We helped deliver this product, which delivered X returns um, to help people buy in and, and really nurture the function long term. Yeah. And even just you saying like over the course of two or three years, like these are these aren't like really quick wins necessarily that you're yeah, driving. That, so. Yeah. And that's like the hard part with it or, or, or slightly terrifying part with it is yeah. businesses are impatient especially right now. And so even if they buy into the idea of it, if you could get six to 12 months down the road and they're like, <laughs> they're like, Hey, I haven't seen anything come out of that. We need to cut, you know, uh head count. Let's cut over here. <laughs> so, um, but you're like, Hey, we're, we're like trying to build a roadmap of like how to get to something in two to three years. Of course we have nothing. So it's hard. Uh, so you constantly have to fight for the function um, and, and really push for it because you need really a couple years to really make it stick and, and drive impact, um, partially because of the cultural headwinds that I talked about before, but also you're building for the long term. So it's going to it's a long pipeline um, that's going to take a long time to actually yield results. Mm. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. I mean, any business that's out there that like has a long sales cycle and is trying yeah. to measure success of or like of new programs that you're putting in place like there there's sort of an element of well we don't actually know if this is going to work until 6 months from now or a year from now so we have to be patient but we also have to find some like leading indicators like that we're moving in the right direction um and so yeah it's a constant battle of like waiting for the results but not waiting too long <laughs> So that once you get there, you're like, oh, wait a second. We didn't actually do what we thought we were doing. Yeah. And I think we're, and, and again, we're still trying to figure this out. But um, I, I think it's important that you show momentum, which is a bit of what you're talking about if, as you're trying to fill those two to three years of like showing, hey, we are making progress with this. So like with this future of food work, um, we're trying to secure a budget for next year of like, hey, coming out of this work. We want to go out and do concept development and actually identify ways that we can address these spaces and create products for it. So I think it's important that you show quick momentum coming out of like foresight research that, that's showing, hey, we're progressing to something meaningful um, to help buy you a bit of time and, and, and show that the process is working. Yeah, I think that's so important for sure. Um, and then you you mentioned a couple of times kind of like, you know, I'm not necessarily a foresight practitioner. I'm yeah. market researcher. And I think, you know, I've, I know Joe very well. I know she is she didn't go directly into foresight. Right. She's come from marketing into research, yep. into foresight. Right. So and you've obviously talked to a lot of other foresight professionals in the space. Like, 
where are these people coming from? Like, is there sort of like <laughs> a, a common path to foresight? No, not at all. No, I, I think it's less about a path and it's more about like a personality hmm. trait uh, um, that, that, that people have. Like you have to be naturally really curious. Uh, I think you have to be like an influencer is really important or somebody that can work with other people and prove that you can actually drive change within the organization because somebody who is reactive or somebody who um, likes to sit behind the scenes, uh, it's going to be hard for them to actually be able to do foresight because it requires so much relationship building and, and influencing. So I think it's, it's less about like there is no traditional path, which is part of what I love about it is you get such interesting people. But I think the ones that are going to be most successful are the ones that are both naturally curious and naturally networkers, but combine that together with business sense um, to actually bring it back to the business in a very meaningful way. Yeah, I think we're going to rebrand uh, curious influencers. <laughs> Those are our, our I'm going to change my title now, Senior Director of Curious Influencers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think I think we can make that happen for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation. It's really interesting to hear how you guys are like building up this team and and operationalizing foresight and really putting proactive research at the forefront of what you're doing. So, I yeah, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. No, thank you. It's a pleasure. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening in and joining us today. Next week, we're talking to Andy Baraklov. CTO and founder of VoxPopMe uh, about natural language processing. See you then.